Well, hello, church. I'm so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Zach. For those that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you uh, to church this morning. It is a highlight to be with the people of God and the presence of God, singing the praises of God and be together. And we're really glad that you are here with us together as we encounter Jesus and learn to practice his ways and build his kingdom. I want you to know that you are significant in the kingdom of God, that God looks at you and he sees you as one with a significant identity. Significance, not just about what you're called to do, but about who you are. We define significance, we define cost, what something is worth by what someone is willing to pay for it. God himself was willing to pay his own life that you and I might have life. That defines your significance forever. How could you put a higher value on that? You're significant. And we've been learning, uh, in light of this, we've been learning about God's faithfulness over the past many weeks. That not only does he look at us as significant, but he's been faithful to us. That God has been faithful in Jesus that we could experience his provision. And when you have a revelation of God's provision, his faithfulness to provide, then you can live uh, larger than your own life, larger than just thinking about you. You can live a generous life. When you have a revelation of his faithfulness to his promises, you can live with peace and with hope as you navigate life. When you live with a revelation of his faithfulness as a leader... You can live with a vision and with a purpose and with a plan, a destiny in God. When you realize, like we studied last week, that God is faithful in the fight, that we all encounter storms, and in those storms, God will be faithful, has been faithful to you and to me, well then, man, we can live with courage to step out and to risk and to believe the Lord and to be a part of making earth look like heaven. In two weeks, on April the 21st, we're going to kind of culminate this study on Easter Sunday. Every Sunday, we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But on Easter Sunday, we take special time just to focus in on that and remember and rejoice and celebrate the good news And so I want to invite you as a part of us learning about God's faithfulness, I want to invite you just to focus in on the 21st on Easter, want to invite you to be a part, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, those are the big holidays that stay the same every year. You always know when they are, you always know what day or around what day. Easter, it changes every year. Some years you celebrate it really early, like in March. Some years you celebrate like this year, like late April. So sometimes it sneaks up on us. But it's so significant, I want to remind you about it today and and just look ahead together at Easter Sunday. We're going to have an amazing kids program going on to help your kids connect with the meaning of Easter. We're going to be together in the sanctuary remembering Jesus and celebrating the resurrection. And word on the street is that there will be something called buntinis uh, in the the lobby. Now, I've never had said buntini, uh, but our staff tells me that I've been missing out. And so if you're like me and you've been missing out, uh, come on Easter Sunday and you will experience a buntini. It's a small piece of cake, is my understanding. Some have said it's like heaven on earth. So there you go, buntinis. I also want to say, I know that all of us have relationships in our lives, people that we would love to see experience the love and the grace and the transforming power of Jesus Christ. 
And Easter is a great Sunday to invite people along with you to celebrate. And their kids can have a great experience. They'll get a Buntini and we will remember Jesus. We believe that many will be encountered, maybe even for the first time, with the reality of God's great love for them. So we're passing out invite cards next week so that you can uh, invite people. And I just encourage you, bring your family, bring friends, and let's get excited about celebrating Jesus uh, this Easter. Today, as we look at Luke chapter 9, uh, we are going to continue studying about God's faithfulness. I hope that today is an inspiration to you. I hope that today is an encouragement to you. I hope today is a day uh, where you feel equipped to live out your calling. And last week, I spoke with you about one of those things that really hinders us from stepping out and believing in God's faithfulness, living with an assurance and an awareness of his faithfulness, and that's the storms of life. When we go through hard times, there are a few things that shake our understanding of God's faithfulness, like storms or like fights. And I talked to you about how Jesus is faithful in the fight, and one of the ways that we can be built up in faith, even when we're in the storm, is to reflect on God's faithfulness and let his faithfulness to us be the fuel for our faith in the fight that we're in. Try saying that five times fast. That's a lot of Fs in there. But you get the idea. We're to look back at who Jesus has been to us and the ways that we've experienced his faithfulness. And that's what fuels our faith for the fight that's in front of us. And I talked about when you do that, you take time to look back. I wanted to give you an example from my own life that's gonna set up the scripture that we're looking at today. So for me and my wife, uh, one of the things that we have uh, encountered God's faithfulness is in the area of provision. And to, to demonstrate this, we're going to play a little Jenga. Any Jenga fans? All right. My parents got my kids a life-size Jenga. Anybody seen those? It's like two-by-fours, which started out good with my kids, but then they realized they could, you know, try and hit each other with them. And it, uh, I turned sideways real quick. But anyway... When Christina and I uh, got married, we were newly married. I was 23, she was 21, we got married young. I was teaching school and she was finishing up university. And when we got married, one of the things that that meant was that we were gonna take on the responsibility to pay for her last year of school. But that was part of us kind of leaving and cleaving and becoming our own you know, couple and married couple and family. And that was exciting, but it was also overwhelming to me because I taught at a school that just had a really small budget, and so you didn't get paid very much. It was fine for me when it was just me, but now I was gonna have a wife, and I was, she was gonna be in school, and we were gonna have the tuition bill to pay. So I was overwhelmed by this. I often get overwhelmed in the area of finances. My wife is amazing. She's, she's more of a uh, just trusting the Lord's faithfulness, but I get a little nervous. I get a little shaky. And I remember just being like, I don't know what to do. And so we decided to pray and to fast. And I would encourage you, if you ever need a breakthrough, you need wisdom, you need clarity, I would encourage you to pray and to fast. And we did that. And we took time to pray and we took time to fast. And at the end of the fast, the most remarkable thing happened. Uh, on the last day, I was uh, in, uh, at the school and I was looking for jobs. I looked on these job boards a million times. I knew all the schools in my city. And on that day, on that last day, I found a school that I had never heard about, though I had spent almost my whole life in the city and knew all the schools. 
Not only was it a new school, but it was hiring for the specialty that I had, and it paid far more than any other school in the city. I was like, oh my goodness. So of course I sent in, like I'd like to apply for this job. They invite me in, give me an interview, and offer me the job right there. I was blown away. Christina was blown away because it wasn't just, okay, we've got money now to pay for the school, for her university and life, but it was, God, you see us and you know us and you care and you're faithful to provide. That was a huge building block in the early years of our marriage. I'm going to put uh, six building blocks because it was really significant, but I also want you to be able to see. Everybody who has eyes like mine, you can thank me later with not the best eyes, so we got to make it big. Okay, so then fast forward about two years, and we were now uh, in a ministry training school. Uh, it was almost full-time. It took a lot of time, so we are both working part-time jobs, and we had this car. Uh, it was a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Any Jeep fans here? What light response. There might be a reason why. I appreciate your love of Jeeps. I thought my Jeep looked great, but man, it broke down all of the time. And so we kind of rebranded Jeep as Just Empty Every Pocket, J-E-E-P, Just Empty Every Pocket, because that's what it was. And it was never like, there you go, it was never like a little, a little hose, you know, like a $15 fix where the mechanic's like, oh yeah, that's simple, no charge. Never like that. It was always like, whoa, this is going to be a big deal, multiple hundred dollars, and it would happen almost every month. The car didn't have that many miles on it. I mean, this wasn't like a, you know, what you expected. And it was such a burden to us. And we come to the end of the year and we've had all these car bills and we've barely been able to pay them and we've got some more that are coming and we have other expenses. And again, we come to a place where it's like, we've been working hard. We've been honoring the Lord. We've been trying to steward the resources that we have. We've been giving our tithe. Lord, we just, we don't have enough to meet the need. I don't know if you've ever been there. Our hard work and what was in our hands was not enough to meet the need of what was in front of us. And I remember in our apartment, we got down on our knees with a piece of paper and we didn't know what else to do, but we thought we'd just write out all the things that we knew were upcoming bills that we needed to be able to pay. And and we wrote out just all those things and we kind of listed them out. And then I remember we prayed and we were in tears because it felt that tense. I don't know if you've ever been in a time like that. We're just praying in tears. I won't ever forget this. And then shortly thereafter, one by one by one, in several different ways, uh, we either got a bonus at work, or someone gave some money, or we sold some. It just, all this stuff just came together. So much so that we had gone back through our prayer list, our, our wishes, God, please help us, and been able to check things off with a marker. I remember it, and just being so blown away and overwhelmed at God's faithful provision. And again, for us, that was a major building block in our faith. And it strengthened us to trust God and try and live a life of faith, the experience of his faithfulness. So fast forward another couple years, and we're sensing that God is leading us to move overseas to North Africa to be a part of planting churches in a third world country, sharing the good news of Jesus there. And now the need that was in front of us wasn't for just a job, wasn't for a new teaching job. It wasn't for a couple hundred dollars to kind of make everything work together. 
that we were needing to believe the Lord for the funds to be able to do this. And I remember it was scary. It felt overwhelming when you're walking by faith and you're stepping out. I don't know that it ever feels like, oh yeah, this is easy. It was challenging, right? And as we're stepping out in faith and we're trusting the Lord with a need that's bigger than what we've ever experienced, but we have his faithfulness to us to look back on and that gave us hope and courage for the next one in front of us, right? And so we get started in that process and you guys won't believe what happened. Uh, We ran into a relative at a family event this might be the most unlikely person that you thought would have been interested in what we were doing. And as we shared a little bit about what we were planning on doing, uh, this uh, family member, and I don't think her spouse knew about it ahead of time because he looked shocked. Uh, she said, oh my goodness, this is so significant. Uh, I, I just want to write you guys a check to help. We not talked about finances at all. We just were sharing what we were doing. And she wrote a check for several thousand dollars her husband's kind of like, um, you know, I was like, oh my goodness. We had a garage sale where we sold all of our stuff and preparing to go. And this woman stops at the garage sale, walks up and she's walking around looking, but she's not looking at items to buy. She's looking at people. And it's kind of like, what, what's going on here? She comes over to us. She says, I know this is really weird, but I was driving down the street and I'm a Christian And I felt the Holy Spirit told me to stop at this garage sale because there were some people here who were stepping into something that God had called them to and I was to give them some money. She gave us $200 and never saw her again. Unbelievable. I mean, I was just like, wow, God, you're so faithful to provide. So kept on building. We experienced God's faithfulness in provision, not just in receiving, but in giving. I don't know if you guys realize this, but when you give, when you give your tithe and you give even beyond your tithe as the Lord leads you, when you step out in faith and give and you're a part of someone else experiencing God's provision, it builds your faith in the same way. You get blown away at how God cares for people and provides for people. And we were experiencing that. And so we, we make it to North Africa and we're, we're there and we uh, serve our time there, and then we sense the Lord is calling us here to Dallas to be a part of this church. But the Jordan, my friend who was the pastor, he's like, hey, we've got a role for you. We need you to do stuff. We just don't have the resources to be able to pay you. So you're going to have to figure out how all that's going to work. And so it took time to believe the Lord and seek the Lord, and God opened up a job, I'll tell you about it in a little bit, uh, that allowed for uh, that to happen. And it was such a faith-building time to see God provide for our family in that way. We'll fast forward another couple years, and several uh, years ago, we realized that we needed to move out from the building that we were in. Any, anybody here with us in the Shoreview days? We got a few. Y'all remember uh, that building, if you're new, it was kind of like a car wash. Like you would go into it, and if it rained, you would get washed, you know. Sometimes we'd sing Let It Rain just to kind of add to the moment. Anyway, we were needing to move out of that building because we'd outgrown it. They were going to tear it down, build something new. And so we were seeking the Lord for a new space for our church. And we found this place, and we needed to raise $180,000 to uh, fit it out. That was so much more than anything I'd ever believed the Lord before for. It was overwhelming. I was nervous. I was like, God, I don't, uh, man, this just seems like a lot. 
But we sensed it was the Lord, and so we stepped out in faith. And again, I could look back on his faithfulness, and that experience of his faithfulness to provide gave me confidence, gave me faith for the future for what God was leading us into. And so in that time, we kind of begin to pray, we share about the need, uh, we gather together as a church, and it's really encouraging. We see about $90,000 come in. I was blown away. That was really exciting, except when I looked at the second 90000 that we needed to get to the end, and I was like, oh my goodness, we're so far away. I didn't know what to do. Uh, uh, someone in the church, uh, you know, asked me the question, hey, what happens if this doesn't work out, if we get to our deadline and we don't have the money? And I was like, oh, please don't ask me that question. I don't know. I just don't know. Right? That's where we were. And so it last 21 days, we invite the church to pray every day for God to provide. And unbelievable, in that 21 days, we received the remaining $90,000 from places far and wide. We were getting donations from people that were like, I don't even know that they're a part of our church. I don't even know how they hear about this. They're in Tennessee. Like, where is this coming from? It's amazing. And we saw God provide. So I want you to know that where you're sitting right now is a example of God's faithfulness to provide. Every time you walk in this facility, let it be a testimony to remind you of God's faithfulness to provide. So those things would build our faith. They would build our faith. And, and I have a list at home. I'm just going to add some more just to help you see. I have a list on my computer, on my Evernote, of all the different ways. I have more stories than these, but all the ways that we've experienced God's faithfulness to provide. And so when we're in a situation where we're uh, facing something where we're like, man, we need God to provide I can look back on that, and that's fuel for my faith to trust the Lord's faithfulness to step out again. Does that make sense? I would encourage you, your, your uh, experience of God's faithfulness may not be like mine. It may be different, but I believe that everyone has stories of God's faithfulness that they can look back on. And I would encourage you to write those down and to review those when you're going through hard times because they will build your faith in his faithfulness. Be like, well, you're the pastor. You've got stories like that. I don't know about me. I want to challenge you on that. I bet you do. And I bet if you'll take time this week even to pray and to ask the Lord to help you see those things, that you'll begin to see things in a new light. And you'll begin to see evidences of his faithfulness that you might have overlooked or not even been aware of. And you'll be overwhelmed at God's faithful goodness, consistency, and love directed toward you and toward me. But there are some stories about provision that I'm not telling you. And there are some places where things didn't quite work out with the glory story in the way that I'd expected. There are some places that felt like See if I can do this, the old Jenga move where you, 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 I know, I know, risky. Oh, two side pieces, wow. Those experiences would become gaps in my faith and places where it's like, God's faithful, but what about that time that I didn't know what to do with? And those holes in my faith, what I'd find is the next time we came to a need of God's faithfulness, I'd be looking at my list of the ways he had provided, the ways he had been faithful. But with the list that was going on in my mind was, what about the stories that aren't on that list? What do you do about those? 
And so it was easy to sing a song about God's faithfulness, to kind of believe it up here. But if it was it needed to step out and trust in God's faithfulness, well, that was a different story because I had some experience that didn't really uh, measure up to what I thought. And I imagine as we're talking about God's faithfulness and this invitation that we have to live a life in light of his faithfulness, I bet you have some of those gap stories too. I bet you have some stories where your uh, situation, what you were going through, did not match your revelation of who God is, right? Where, where what is actually happening, my, my, my belief, my understanding of God, my, 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 my belief in him, my revelation of him doesn't line up with what I'm experiencing, with my situation. My revelation and my situation don't match up. Maybe it was where your expectations didn't match your experience, God, I was believing you to heal this person, or I was believing you to provide, or I was believing you for this relationship to work out, and it didn't. And so here's my experience, here's my expectation in you, and they don't don't line up. Or your condition might not be congruent with his character. So, well, this is what your character is supposed to be, but that's not what I've experienced. Now, this comes in many forms. This comes, I'll tell you mine, and then I'll I'll give you some examples for yours. So for me, there was a time when we were in North Africa where we'd had our oldest, our first child, and in the country that we were in, it's a third world country, we got around by walking and public transport. Um, the, The car situation there, driving, was a little bit like Six Flags, Judge Roy scream. If you've ever driven in a third world country where it just feels kind of like a roller coaster, that's what it was like. But we would take taxis, and when it was just me and my wife, it was okay, right? It was a little bit of an adventure, bumpy ride, but that was okay. When we had a little baby girl, like, so y'all seen how tiny newborns are. I mean, like, so tiny. And now we're needing to figure out how to get around uh, without a car and without a car seat. And without a seatbelt even, like the taxis didn't have seatbelts, no car seat. So then I'm like getting my little baby girl into this piece of metal that's about to fly around in this third world country, right? Like a roller coaster ride. It was overwhelming to us. So we're like, man, we really, to be here, we really need a car. And so we said, well, we've seen, we've got this We've got this testimony of God's faithfulness. We've seen his faithfulness to provide. So let's believe him again. Let's trust him again. So we began to pray. We contacted our supporters, the people that had said, hey, we believe in this mission. We shared the need, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. So now this starts to hit on multiple levels. It is challenging my faith in God's faithfulness, yes, but it's also challenging my faith um, just sense of being a dad, because I'm like, man, how foolish are you? How incompetent are you? How much of a failure are you that you have this little girl that you brought into the world and you can't even take care of her, right? I can get emotional right now. I don't know if you've ever been in those situations where it's like, man, this is hitting me on several levels. And for a long time, that situation for me was one of these gaps, that I just didn't know what to do with. There's a significant gap for me. In fact, it wasn't just a gap, but it was almost like termites, where it didn't just affect that situation, but it ate into the other blocks, 
experiences of God's faithfulness around them. Now, you might have something similar or something very different. Yours might be you believed for your parents to, for their marriage to stay together and you prayed and you believed and you believed that the Lord was going to work it out and he didn't and they didn't and they got divorced. And you're like, I don't know what to do with that. I trusted, I prayed, I stepped out on your faithfulness and it fell apart. For others of you, it may feel like every time you step out in faith, life falls apart. So it's like following Jesus means everything's gonna go bad. I've heard people share that with me. That's what they've felt. That's been their experience. For others of us, it might be you have a particular addiction or sin struggle that you've been to the altar call ministry line a hundred times. You've confessed every sin that you've ever done, ever thought about doing, ever heard was bad. You confessed your siblings' sin. I mean, just everything, right? Believe the Lord and you're still right where you are. Nothing's changed. We all have these different experiences where there's gaps where there's but whatabouts in our faith. And what we're gonna see today is that these disciples, the disciples of Jesus, had some of those but whatabouts. And I wanna show you uh, some perspective on their questions, on their gaps, on their complexities, the places where life just didn't feel like it lined up with what they understood God to be and God to be about. And these have really helped me to be able to see these. And I believe that they'll really help you. I believe that there are many today that you're going to find healing and wholeness and new perspective on some places that have been gaps in your faith. And when you do, when you find that perspective, it's going to allow you to step forward in strong faith for what God's calling you to. So Luke chapter 9, that's where we're going to be. Jesus uh, is speaking, and this occurs just after his disciples have acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus is God's appointed king. Jesus sent them out on mission. They've proclaimed the kingdom of God is at hand. They've gone everywhere proclaiming this. They come back and they're like, you're the Messiah. You're God's anointed king. It's not just that the kingdom is here, but you're the king and you're here. So they come back and say, and then look what Jesus says. Uh, verse 21, Jesus strictly warns them not to tell this to anyone. How confusing is that? Like if you were one of those disciples, you're like, wait, hold on. You told us that you came to set the captives free, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to bind up the brokenhearted, that you wanted to preach to all these towns and villages. You sent us out everywhere to say that the kingdom of God is at hand. And now you're telling us not to say that? So confusing, right? That would have been a, but what about? I don't get what's going on here. This is very confusing. I don't understand. I don't know if any of you have ever had situations in your faith that are like that, where it's just like, wait, but what about, I don't know how this all works. Confusing. Let's go on. Then he says, uh, and he said to them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The son of man was an Old Testament term for God's anointed leader, similar to the Messiah, but different that was going to rule and was going to restore order to uh, God's people. So Jesus is like, I'm he, I'm the son of man, but I'm gonna die. What? You're God's king come to set the world right and you're gonna be taken and put to death? That makes no sense. That's very confusing. That's a, but what about? 
this. Well, let's look in verse 37. It doesn't stop there. In verse 27, rather. Then he says, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Wait, help me get this. You sent us out saying that the kingdom of God is here. Then you told us not to tell people that. Then you told us you're the king, but then you're, you're not going to conquer. You're going to die. But then you're telling us that some of us are going to be alive to see the kingdom, which you said was already here, but now you're acting like it's not here, but you're going to be dead. How does all this work? Right? Don't you think they would be asking those questions? Don't you think they'd be like, I don't get what's going on here. Don't you think that, yes, I've experienced Jesus in the storm. I've experienced him working miracles. I've experienced seeing him heal. It's amazing. They've got some of these blocks that are built up. But then there are situations like this that make no sense, that feel confusing. It would be like gaps being pulled out. See if I can find a good one. Gaps being pulled out. It's like, I don't know how to go forward in faith because I just don't understand, and this seems very perplexing. I've been there. These disciples were there. I bet you've been there as well. So let's take a look at each one of these things, each one of these statements, and what I hope to show you as we go through here can best be illustrated by this Polaroid camera. Um, <clears throat> this is my daughter's camera. It's really cool. You know, the Polaroid deal, you press the, take the picture, and then it spits it out, and it's dark for a little bit, and then it comes to light. I think I have some Polaroids in here. Then it comes to light, and you get these cool pictures, but it starts out, you know, like this. And I, I looked up how this process worked, and it's really interesting. When the picture is taken, what's there? is captured in a layer of the film, but it's not visible to our eyes. And as it spits the picture out, it releases like a chemical uh, agent that brings to light, visible to our eyes, what was already present in the film, but we couldn't see. Chemical reagent that does that. That's really interesting, huh? I think it's interesting. It's amazing how we know how to do things. I believe that as we study these passages, that the Holy Spirit is going to bring some chemical reagent into our lives. Something that's gonna help us see in the places that have felt like this, help us see the faithfulness of God, which was already there, but we've not been able to see it or apprehend it. And those things are really painful so I'm hoping that this is helpful to you. It's been very helpful for me. So let's look at the first phrase. Jesus strictly warns them not to tell this to anyone. Very confusing statement, but we get the vantage point of looking back 2,000 years, 2,000 years removed from this. We can see things that the disciples in that moment couldn't see. They had one scene from the movie we have much more of the movie to understand what's going on. And the reason why it was significant, though they couldn't see it at the time, the reason why it was significant for them not at that time to proclaim to everyone that Jesus was God's Messiah was this. Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. We've seen that all throughout Luke. All the time there are revolutionaries rising up who are saying, we're going to overthrow Rome and we're going to make Israel great again. All the time. 
If word got out that Jesus was the Messiah, the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the world, would have looked at him and said, oh, this is just another revolutionary. This is another radical one to start a rebellion against us for the sake of his nation, and they would have crushed him. And that would have been the narrative around Jesus' life and his death, that he was just one amongst many who loved his country and was trying to see it rise to prominence. That's what would have happened if that had gotten out. That would have been the meaning around his death. But God had so much more for us to understand from the life and the death of Jesus Christ. What he wanted us to see was that in Jesus' death, it wasn't just going to come in the hands of the Romans. It was the people that they viewed as far from God. But it was also going to come at the hands of the people that were viewed as close to God, as God's people. It was going to come from the religious and irreligious alike that they together and some these two enemies that together somehow both agreed upon taking Jesus and killing Jesus. That was how this was going to unfold. And that's so significant because Jesus, one of the purposes that he came was to show us God's love, was to show us God's love that even though regardless of where you find yourself, religious or irreligious, that all of us together rose up against God and said, we don't want you here. We want to run our own life. And listen, people can be kind. People can be nice. People can be, uh, make good choices apart from the Lord. But all of us have this thing within us, every person on the planet, that if we're given the option, if we could just be in charge, we'd choose that. I like to be in charge. I bet you like to be in charge. We'd all choose that. And so I want you to get the picture of what's going on. It's mankind, God comes to bless and to heal and to restore. And mankind says, no, we want to do it our way. And what we see in Jesus is that even while we're his enemies, his literal enemies, taking him and killing him, even while we're his enemies, that he still died on our behalf to show us God's love. It's easy to think that God loves people who love him back. It's easy to think that God loves people who are good and do the right thing and, you know, go to church on Sunday and all that stuff. It's easy to think that. But to realize that Jesus shows us that the love of God is not just for the people that do the right thing, but it's for all. Whoa! Game changer. That's the meaning. Second aspect of the meaning. When we see our own depravity, that we took God and said, no, we, want, we don't want you here. We want to kill you. When we see that, we realize that we need to be saved from the power of sin. We need to be saved from sin. And Jesus came to save us from the power, from the presence, and from the penalty of sin. That's part of the meaning of his death. Jesus came to shut down religion. And what I mean by that is to shut down a religious system where there's all these rules of us trying in our own effort to make ourselves good before God and everyone else. And he said, no, my kingdom is founded on grace, the unmerited favor of God in which you stand that he demonstrated on the cross for us. Wow, we're starting to see more to the meaning of his death than would have been seen if it just got out at that moment that he was the Messiah. Jesus didn't come just to show us God loves, just to set us free from sin, just to shut down religion. But he came to set up God's kingdom. It was a new kind of kingdom. It was inaugurated by the king going to the cross. That's why some call it the upside down kingdom, and we'll get to that more in a moment. But these disciples couldn't see that then. They didn't know that then. That only 
came clear with time, with time. And for many of us, our gaps, that we have gaps here, that the Lord wants to show you something about his timing that's actually going to transform that gap into a testimony. We see this with uh, Abraham in the Old Testament, great hero of the faith, the people of God, always seem to have a problem with God's timing. We like things on our terms and our way. I like Amazon where you can choose the window it's delivered. I'd like it even better if I could choose the 15 minutes that it's delivered. And I hate when you call the companies and say, hey, we're going to give you a range of three days that we might come out. So frustrating, right? Abraham receives this incredible promise, he and Sarah, that God's going to give him a child. Awesome. Yes, Lord, you're faithful. This is so cool, right? Days pass. Weeks pass. Months pass. Years pass. Nothing, right? And so they're like, uh, I, what do I even do with this, right? So they take matters in their own hand. They impregnate one of their servants, and that's what they're thinking. Well, we'll just make this happen ourselves. And the Lord's like, no, that's not the way I work. This child is going to come in my time. Joseph, another major leader in the Old Testament, had an incredible calling from God to be a leader amongst leaders. And yet you see his life, he was sold by his family into slavery, was wrongfully accused, was put in prison before the end came about. So you got to figure for much of Joseph's life, he was like, man, I know the stories of God's faithfulness, but my life feels like it's got a bunch of holes in it. And God's faithfulness feels more like a farce than a truth, right? Moses, called to be a great leader, wants to deliver his people, again, tries to take matters into his own hands, ends up killing someone, and has to leave the place that he thought he saw he was going to see God's victory. With Joseph and with Moses, the fulfillment would happen, but it wouldn't happen in their timing. It would happen in God's timing. But in the moment, there were probably many evenings and many months and many years where all that they felt was this feels dark. I don't know that I can rely on God's faithfulness. But with timing, we can look back. Joseph, at the end of his life, when everything is coming full circle, he gets it and he says that this thing that was so painful, he tells, he says to the people that sold him into slavery, he said, what you intended for evil God meant for good. The place of his pain, the place of his loss, the place where everything was dark and he didn't understand, his but what about became the place of his testimony. And that's so significant. And it came out in time, in time. So back to my story about the car. We are there, we're in this, and man, I am just struggling. I am so wrought up because this is not working out like I thought. It just feels like a big, but what about this? It felt very pressing. Uh, I can look back now, 10 years later, and I can see what the Lord was doing in that time. And for me, that place that was a but what about has become a place of testimony. I want to share it with you. So in that season where things weren't working out like we thought, uh, I got the idea to reach out to uh, a guy that I knew that had an internet you know, web development company that we had actually met while we were in this third world country. He lived in the UK, and I had some web development skills, and I just reached out to him because I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, hey, do you have any side projects or anything I could help with? And he said, well, actually, here, I'll give you a very small little, little project. But I was excited because I was like, okay, Lord, maybe this is how you want to provide, and we're, you know, we're, we're going to trust you. And 
working on this. Well, <clears throat> about a year later, when we made the decision to move back to the States, uh, that guy, while we're moving back, says, hey, you know those, that little contract that I've given you? I'd actually like to bring you on full time, and I'd like to pay you. You can tell me what you need. Uh, you can work remote. You can work on your hours, and you can be wherever you want. You can be in the States or wherever you need to be. So as we're moving back from North Africa, I realize, wow, this relationship that came about because of a situation that felt like God wasn't providing, that the Lord was totally opening up a very different kind of door and a very different kind of provision that would provide for me and my family as we stepped in the next thing that he had for us. Well, several months after we're back in the States, he calls me, he says, hey, I actually wanna, I, I wanna stop doing the projects that you've been working with us on. I just don't wanna do that anymore. Uh, so I'd actually like to give you those contracts. I was like, what? These were like monthly contracts, business people. You know that that's very abnormal that someone would give someone else a series of contracts. And I'm like, do you want me to pay you like a fee or like a percentage of them? He's like, no. Just if, if you want to refer them back to us when they need this thing, then do that. The guy gave me an entire business. Like catch the, catch the, the depth of that. That provided for me, my wife, and our kids literally until the church was well-established enough for me to come on in a salary position. Unbelievable. But I wouldn't have experienced God's faithfulness to provide in that way if I'd not had the way that I expected be somewhat blocked. Isn't that interesting? It's only with time that I could see that. And so for me, that place that was a gap for so long, 10 years later, I can look back, and now I've got a green block there. Green, I like to think about it as healing. I've got a green block that's filled in. It's actually, these green ones are stronger than the wood ones that have filled in. And now that place that felt like a failure has become a testimony. For these disciples, the same thing would have happened if they stuck with Jesus even when they didn't understand. If they didn't bail out, they said, I don't understand now, but God, I'm gonna trust your timing. How many of you know they would look back and be like, wow, God was doing amazing things even in the places that I didn't understand, but it only come to light in time. I wonder for us how many of our gaps are timing issues, or we need God's timing. Crazy thing is, the Bible says that many of these great heroes of the faith died without seeing what they were promised because God had a bigger plan to fulfill it at a later date. Wow. So God thinks on a much longer timetable than you and I do. But when we learn to see with his timing, we begin to see these testimonies and what was gaps. Uh, next scripture that I want to show you, Jesus says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So again, very confusing statement. And these disciples throughout the gospels, they're just confused about who Jesus is, right? They're like, are you a teacher? Are you a carpenter? Are you really from this place? Who's your real family? What's going on here? I don't get what you're saying. Like over and over and over again, we just see them confused about who God is. And so now Jesus is saying these things. And again, it's a gap for them. It's a place of confusion. It's like, I don't get that, right? But this term son of man, Jesus is revealing something about who he is to them to help them understand. And sometimes there are gaps in our lives 
of places where we don't understand, where we need the Lord to give us revelation to help us understand. Revelation is when God reveals something to you that you couldn't figure out on your own. They couldn't figure this out on our own. There's some gaps in our lives that we can't figure out on our own, but the Lord wants to give revelation. I had a, a girl in the church share this testimony with me that uh, for much of her life, she felt like God was against her, was out to get her even, that just everything seemed to go wrong. And she came to the end of her rope one day and was just like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm just gonna try and pray. I don't even know if you like me or there or whatever. And she has this revelation from the Holy Spirit where she begins to think back to all the different places that she's moved and how at each place there had been one Christian friend in her friend circle that had reached out to her, that had loved her, that had cared for her, that had served her, that had believed in her, that had kind of been a light to her time and time and time again. Revelation. And a light switch went on. She's like, God's not against me. God's for me. And he's been trying to reach out to me through all these different people even while I've had such an angry attitude toward him. Amazing, life changed. Uh, uh, sometimes you don't get a revelation of here's what was happening. You get a revelation of his character and you may not know the answer, but you know who he is. Several years ago, we were doing ministry here in the area with an Iraqi lady who, uh, who had seen her son killed in front of her in Iraq by ISIS. And she'd come to the States and she was a grieving mom and a girl in our church uh, said, hey, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He's good, that he has a plan for you. And she's like, how, if Jesus is so good, why did he let my son die? Very valid question. The girl didn't know what to say, right? She was like, ah. But she began to pray for her. A couple weeks later, that lady comes back to her and says, you won't believe what happened. I went home, apartment not far from here, Vickery. I went home, and in my living room, I don't know how to describe this, but Jesus showed up. The Jesus you read about, glowing white, like in the Bible, he showed up in my living room. Muslim lady, Jesus showed up. And she said, I looked at him and I said, hey, if you're so good, why did you let my son die? And she said, Jesus looked her in the eye. She said, he didn't give me an answer. She said, I knew when I looked in his eyes, I knew that he was good and that I could trust him. And I may not have an answer, why my son died, but he's good and he's trustworthy and I want to follow him. Wow. Revelation of who God is, that even though she didn't know why, she said, I know you're good and I know you're faithful. Another gap is filled. Sometimes, and this may be the hardest type of, re of revelation, is God's not saying. God's not telling you why. I know, silence on that one. We don't like that one at all. But when you think about it, it makes sense. Like you and I, we're finite. We have like a, a brain that's only a limited size with limited understanding. Of course, there are things about our lives and things about the world that we can't know. We believe in a God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes he's not telling us why that happened. And I want to tell you, this has set me free so much that I don't have to have the responsibility to figure out the whys of my whole life. That I can just say, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, and that's okay. That's freeing, right? And it's logical. In the book of Job, God, or a guy recounts all that God has done in creation and says, this is just the outskirts of his ways. 
God is so much bigger than our understanding. Our faith is a mystery that's been revealed in Jesus, but it's still a mystery. We don't know everything. Oh, I hope you're getting this. This will set you free if you're like, I could just let that go. I don't know. God's not telling me. He can tell me when he wants to, if he wants to, but I trust him that he's good. And again, another gap gets filled. And this tower of faith that once was wobbly is now gaining strength to step out again. Last one that we're going to see. Where did my phone go? Last one that we're going to see. Verse 27, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Again, super confusing. When they heard kingdom of God, what they thought was ruling and power, a sword, a fire, a pitchfork, it is time to take over and to kick these Romans out and to set us up again. That's what they were thinking. That was their expectation. Jesus' kingdom is so very different than that. Rather than power that's about force and control, it's power demonstrated in humility and love. It's sacrifice. It's welcoming in the poor, the last, the least, the lost. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So different than the kingdom of the world. But because of where their expectation was, they couldn't see that. So they were really frustrated. Many believe this is why Judas Iscariot sold Jesus out because Jesus' vision of the kingdom didn't line up with Judas' expectation of this is what God was doing. Wow. So get this. Sometimes you and I have expectations in God that are unhealthy, that are toxic, that God's trying to set us free from. Sometimes things have to be deconstructed before they're reconstructed. Does that make sense? Sometimes there are serious situations that we have to go through where our expectations are unmet for us to get the perspective. That is a really unhealthy, unrealistic, not in line with truth, not in line with God's character, expectation on God and the way that he works. And I've been holding on to it so tightly, I had to go through this to eventually let it go so I could lay hold of truth and the kingdom and the faithfulness of God. And so some of those gaps in our faith where it's like things didn't work out like I wanted. God was working, but in a very different way to bring you to a very different place, a place that's in line with who he is. But sometimes our expectations have to be disappointed to get there, for us to be willing to let them go and embrace something new. And my hope for you, again, back to the Polaroid as we close today, is that as you pray and as you consider God's faithfulness and you consider the gaps and the but what abouts and you consider the timing, you consider the revelation. You consider the expectation that the Holy Spirit will bring healing and strength in areas that feel like they've been a question mark for years, but now you can see they're a period or even an exclamation point, a testimony of God's faithfulness. I want to invite you to stand as we close. We're going to close by uh, taking communion together. And remembering God's faithfulness, that we have all received the ultimate faithfulness of God, the death and the resurrection of his son, the ultimate demonstration of God's faithfulness. So as you come forward to take of the bread and take of the cup, I want you to remember that. We'll have our officiants up here at the front, and when you're ready, you can exit your aisle, come forward as the worship team leads us.
and you can receive of the elements and then return to your seat. And when you're ready, as we worship, then you can receive that. And we're going to close with a song about thanks. So I'd love for you to join me in prayer. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that even in the but whatabouts, you're faithful and you're good. Even in the places where the timing uh, wasn't what we thought, Lord, we trust your timing. Even in the places where it felt like a gap, Lord, we're looking to you to give us revelation of who you are and what you're doing. And we're trusting you in the things that you're just not telling us answers for. Lord, and in other gaps that have been left there by our expectations, Lord, thank you that you're faithful not to give us what we expect, Lord, but to give us what's best and what's good. So we remember your faithfulness today and we position ourselves to live a life of faith this week and this month and this season of our lives, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Strong and true
to the fatherless You're the peace in all distress You're the light that breaks the darkness You're the mighty one, the risen sun You're the savior to the drowning I was lost till you found me You broke the chains that bound me You're the mighty one, the risen son You're the father to the fatherless You're the peace in all distress You're the light that breaks the darkness You're the mighty one, the risen son You're the savior to the drowning I was lost till you found me You broke the chains that bound me You're the mighty one, the risen son The one who was and is and is Place all my trust. 